You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. If you would join me by opening to 1 Peter, and as we've been going through this letter, um, the timing worked out just right because 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, is talking about those who shepherd you. Uh, so 1 Peter 5, uh, please stand with me for the reading of the scriptures. 1 Peter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is the promise of God. Well, as many of you already know, October is often celebrated as Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, also, the last Sunday is recognized by many churches as Reformation Sunday, looking ahead to the anniversary now of the 501st Protestant Reformation. Uh, but it reminds me of a story I heard of a church where the pastor typically would open the uh, service with these words, and the Lord be with you, and the congregation would naturally respond, and also with you. Uh, but then one particular Sunday, they were having some issues with the sound system. Uh, the minister got up and started to say, there's something wrong with this mic, and many in the congregation automatically responded, and also with you. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think as you think of occasions like this, they're never intended to elevate a certain individual, uh, nor to elevate a certain event that's happened in history as if we should idolize it. But they are reminders to us that God has always chosen to work through ordinary people and ordinary events to do extraordinary things. And so on a Sunday where we as a congregation often pay tribute to your pastor, it brings to mind what should every pastor remind themselves of during the month of October? And as well as what should everyone sitting out in a pew or a chair need to know about what your pastor does? And so I want to direct your attention to this instruction given in 1 Peter chapter 5. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses, Peter talks about the responsibility of, of elders, pastors, uh, those who have spiritual leadership in the local congregation. Uh, so this week, it's kind of a little bit about what should you expect of me? What should I be doing as your pastor? Uh, but make sure you return next week because the rest of the letter is then about what are the responsibilities of the congregation. Uh, but today we're going to focus on what should every one of you know about someone who serves as your pastor or your shepherd. Uh, so look at me at verse 1. Verse 1, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal. 
the word appeal means to, to implore, uh, to, to urge. And it reminds me that shepherds, good shepherds, are always in short supply. Reading through the Old Testament, you find Isaiah, Ezekiel, where God speaks through those prophets and says, there's an absence of good shepherds. They're, they're shepherds that are taking advantage of you. They're shepherds who are neglecting your needs. They're shepherds who feed themselves. But where are the good shepherds? And so it shouldn't strike us as unusual to say good shepherds are always in short supply. And even here, Peter begins with this urging, saying, you know what, to those who are leading in this position, here's what you need to know. But we also need to extend the call that we need more shepherds like this. We need more elders who follow the example of Jesus Christ. One of the advantages of studying an entire letter, which is what we've been doing, is you realize that every part of the letter is connected. And so notice how chapter 4 ended in verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter ended with the challenge, you're going to be facing increased persecution. Then the very next verse, he's employing elders to be qualified shepherds. You can't miss the connection. If there's going to be increased persecution, where will that persecution probably first be directed towards? The leaders in your church, the spiritual leaders, the pastors, the shepherds. And I, I can't help but wonder if as, as Peter wrote this, he was thinking back to something Jesus said. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus calls all of his disciples together. And he says to them, you're all going to desert me. And then he quotes a passage from the book of Zechariah, which says that they will attack the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And then right after he says that, he turns to Peter and says, Peter, you will deny me three times. What a reminder that especially in times of trials and difficulties, good shepherds are going to be in short supply. They're going to be hard to find. Who, in fact, is wanting to step forward to do this when you realize the trials and the difficulties that are incumbent with this very important task? So the placement of this challenge to those in ministry in, in pastoral ministry and spiritual leadership in the local church is a challenge based on this is a difficult task. It's a hard task. But then you have a description of Peter himself, which, which Peter, you can see, has changed throughout his maturity in the Lord. But, but when you get to 1 Peter 5, he gives you a very vivid description of who he is in Christ. And so as you follow along in verse 1, Peter describes himself first as a fellow elder. Uh, in other words, elder, overseer, bishop, pastor uh, are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Um, but the root for this word, when he says, I am a fellow elder, is the root for our word 
Presbyterian. So he is one who stands before the people. He is a fellow elder, writing to elders. In other words, he can identify with the fact that this is a position that's in short supply, but yet it's, it's urgent and it's critical. But not only is he a fellow elder, he says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, it's likely that Peter is not so much implying here, because we know of his denial, that he, he may not have actually been watching Christ during those final moments of his punishment and agony. But clearly, as he lived out his faith in Christ, he personally witnessed and experienced suffering and persecution. In fact, this is why in the previous chapter, he says, don't, don't be surprised at, at suffering and persecution. Like he was speaking firsthand. I, I've been there. I'm, I'm experiencing that now. I know what you were going through. So he's not just a fellow elder writing this. He's one himself who is in the trenches. These are words of a pastor to other pastors and leaders, taking them behind the scenes to this task. But then he also includes, he is one who shares in the glory to be revealed. Now he clearly is referring to something future, but yet speaks of it with such confidence and assurance that, that presently as he's writing this, in the midst of not just difficult situations, but situations that are going to grow worse, he says, I am one just like you, who are our partners together in the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. What a way to appeal to his fellow pastors and leaders in the midst of the fact that this is a position where, where he implores them, not just, not just be faithful, but pray for God to raise up others to be pastors and spiritual leaders in the church. His appeal also is to remind them, not only does he identify with them, but, but there is a certain honor in the task that he's referring to. Looking at different statistics from seminaries, it might be encouraging to look at times and say, wow, yeah, seminary enrollment is, is up in certain places in our world. But I don't know if that's necessarily a means of encouragement uh, because the question can sometimes be raised is it up because of the economy and people can't find other jobs so they're going to pursue further education? Uh, is enrollment up because people are seeing sometimes biblical training as a path to self-enrichment? Or is it up because people are sensing a true calling of God to preach the Word of God? And my own personal opinion is that that is sadly lacking today that we're not seeing the tremendous burden like Peter, that he has been called to preach the word of God, that the Westminster Confession sought to capitalize, that other confessions sought to build upon, that to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, is one who sees that as their calling. Now, I didn't have to work hard to work Spurgeon into the sermon, uh, but in his lectures to all of these candidates at his college who were eager to jump into ministry, he would often begin by simply saying, if there is anything else you can find in life 
that gives you a sense of happiness, do that instead of ministry. And clearly he believed he was called to ministry. He knew God works in the hearts of others. But he was saying, if there's something else that could possibly give you pleasure, that's what you should do. But after examining that, you know in your heart that God has sought after you and called you, then by all means, pursue that calling because God has first pursued after you. And so Peter's words are very powerful here. But he not only wants to say that good shepherds always remain in short supply, but shepherding is a demanding work. It's a demanding work. It really is not for those, even as Spurgeon would go on and say, it's not for those who are the least qualified in our world. Uh, you sometimes get the impression from people who look at pastors or look at Christian ministries and say, well, I, I guess that person really couldn't make it in the business world. So, so that's good that they found something. Spurgeon would say, you know what? God needs the best of the best to be in ministry. So it's not that he's scraping the bottom of the barrel with those that he is calling, but he's actually going right to the top. But they're humble servants. But shepherding is demanding work. I don't know if any of you have been reading some of the, the bulletin inserts that Ashley's been putting together. Uh, the one the other week was a bunch of statistics. And I have to admit, when I, when I saw it in there, none of them surprised me. But I thought, I, I don't want to read these right after a sermon. Uh, because it can be discouraging. Uh, but, but two of them I want to share with you. First one is that 78% of pastors have been forced to resign from a church at least once due to conflict, power struggles. That's an astronomically high number. Think about that, over three quarters. But then in addition to that was a second statistic in that insert. And that was 80% of those who go into full-time pastoral ministry will not last 10 years. They will leave for various reasons, discouragement, uh, difficulty of the task, uh, whatever it might be. And then out of that percent that remain, there's only a small fraction of those remaining that will pursue that as a lifelong calling. Now that reflects a lot, both possibly negatively on those maybe pursuing a call that don't really understand the call. It may also reflect very negatively on, on congregations. What, what are we expecting of our pastors? And in a day and an age where we don't just have senior pastors now, we have you know, pastors of various levels, we have executive pastors who kind of deal with the organization of a church, and there's many different layers you could look at. Is it possible in all of that that we've lost some sight of, of why the job should be demanding and what the job of a pastor actually is. And so you look in verses two and three, and in spite of those statistics, God is still calling pastors. And notice how Peter puts this. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager 
to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, listening to those words and considering the environment which Peter is giving this instruction, think for a moment, Peter is saying, the work of a pastor is spiritual care. And that spiritual care is a very broad term for applying the whole counsel of God to every aspect of a person's life. Too often today, pastoral care is often seen by people as that's when a pastor goes to the hospital to, to visit someone. That, that's an element of pastoral care. But pastoral care is a very broad area. Martin Buser, who was a, a, a kind of a colleague of Calvin, as Calvin worked in his preparation to teach pastors how to be pastors in Geneva, uh, Buser did not like the term pastor. Instead, he always referred to, you're a carer of the soul. Puritans would later follow that and say, you're a physician of the soul. In other words, your task is to care for the soul, not, not to entertain, uh, not be, to be remembered merely for your great illustrations or stories that may one sermon make us laugh and another sermon bring a tear to our eye, but, but you're to be those who care for the very soul of those that God has entrusted to you. And so you have this broad understanding, just as a shepherd is to lead, guide, care, protect the literal flock of sheep that's under his care. That is exactly what a pastor, an elder, those in spiritual oversight are to do in the church. Once again, you have Peter using words here that Jesus himself used when talking to Peter. In John 21, you don't need to turn there, but you have the restoration of Peter. We're following Christ's resurrection. Uh, he restores Peter. But in that restoration, you may recall, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And in the replies back, Jesus would say, first, then take care of my sheep. Literally, shepherd my sheep. Then he'd respond to other times and he would say, feed my sheep. Different word than shepherd or pastor them. But again, the same element incorporated in that. Feed them. Guide them. Care for them. And at the end of that discussion with Peter, Jesus says, you know what? There's going to come a day in your life when you will be led where you don't want to be led. In other words, referring to really Peter's future martyrdom for his desire to be obedient to the task of shepherding, a, a very demanding work. But you notice as well in verses two and three here, there's three sets of contrast to help us understand what, what does that task look like of a shepherd, of a pastor. And so notice the, the three contrasts you see in verses two and three. Um, the first one you have there uh, is that be shepherds of God flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. Because this is God's will for you. I would be the first to say that God has not called everyone to, to serve as a pastor in the role of a shepherd of a local church. All of us have a calling in Christ, that is certain. But, but God has not called everyone 
to this task. You have a unique ministry that God has called you to. This is partly why Martin Lloyd-Jones, in only his unique way, uh, could often say, pastors are born, not made. In other words, he meant they are called from the beginning. They can be refined, they can be shaped, um, but, but not manufactured. Uh, they are made, they are born by God. And, and you see that Peter understands here, if you're going to do this hard task, it must be because you have, one, a desire to do it because God has placed that desire in your heart. And you're doing it as willingly to the Lord. This would explain why Paul in 1 Timothy would say to Timothy, you know, to, to be an elder, to be a spiritual leader, is, is a noble task. I think it is a task that seeks after you before you seek after it. So you do it out of a desire and obedience to the Lord. The second contrast, he says, is you do this not for greed or money, but eager to serve. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, of course, who would think there's money in ministry? But, but you would be surprised. There are some that are making very big salaries. You can look around at some, some churches, and I'm not begrudging those who have greater responsibilities, and salaries should be commensurate with that. But maybe we could think of sometimes some of the other perks that sometimes can attract people to ministry that are not godly. Prestige. Uh, position of power, uh, feeling as if people kind of almost can idolize you uh, and look to you and put you on a pedestal. But know what Peter says there, your, your motive is that you are eager to serve. It's, it's a hard task. So Peter's kind of saying, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, but, but you are desiring to serve in this way. Uh, and the word eager is an interesting word. It comes from the word that refers to a patron. And so if you think of a patron, a patron is someone who, who willingly gives of their time, their resources, and finances to something. And they do it joyfully. My wife and I the other week went to, uh, there's a little playhouse in Enfield, which we recently discovered, uh, went to see a play. And the, the person who came out in the beginning is, is basically a patron of the arts. You know, they talk a little bit about the play, the theater house. And I couldn't help but think that if you're a patron of the arts, you love the arts. You will give your time. You will give your finances to it. And you don't get up and act like, oh, this is such a difficult job. I'm a patron of the arts. I hate doing this, but I have to do it. So notice he uses this term. You, you are a patron of the ministry. You, you love ministry that there is a joy that there is in serving Christ in this way. And I think that would translate, even as an audience would hear this letter read to them, they could hear in these words Peter's joy in being called to such a task. But the third contrast is not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. Uh, lording it over is a phrase that Jesus used when he said, you know how the Gentiles like to lead? They, they like to parade themselves. They like to lord over others. Not so with you. You're to be servants. And so to lord it over means to exert your dominance. Think of how often we have seen, sadly, in church leadership, in ministry, those who are not really servants but want to be served. 
Those who want to promote their own agenda, not the agenda of Christ. He says this, you're not to be like that. You're not lording it over those, and notice the wording he uses, those entrusted to your care. That phrase entrusted means literally deposited or allotted to you. And you can't help but think, well, who made the allotment? Who made the assignment? Not a denomination, not some earthly board, but God in his sovereignty has allotted that pastor to that congregation, that congregation to that pastor. I love the comment I heard a number of years ago by Eric Alexander, a pastor in London, uh, who said, you must always remember to preach to the congregation you have, not the congregation you wish you had. And what a reminder that there is God's sovereignty that's at play when you think of the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. And ultimately, it is sheep entrusted to him. He does not own them. They do not own their pastor. Their pastor is answerable to the chief shepherd, just as you ultimately are answerable to the chief shepherd. He says, instead of learning it over them, you should be examples. Literally, if you took a hammer and banged it on a piece of wood, what is left is the word for an example, uh, a typos, an, an impression, a mark. And so your shepherds, your spiritual leaders are not perfect and they will never be perfect because that's not God's design. But they are to be always pointing you and moving you forward in Christ as you watch them grow and move forward in Christ. But Peter, in conclusion, tells us that shepherding is a most rewarding task. Yes, it is difficult. And yes, there will be many who choose not to pursue that. And that might be a good thing at times. But if you had to pick any other calling, if this is the one God has chosen for you, it is the most rewarding. And you see this in particular in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And I want to preface this by saying, Peter is recognizing there are present blessings and benefits with being a shepherd of a flock. One of those is the relationships that we forge with one another in Christ over the years. I think it might have been one of my kids once asked me, uh, what are my greatest joys in ministry? And, and I believe I said, I get to share in the high points of people's lives and at the same time, the extremely painful and low points in people's lives, from weddings to funerals, from great triumphs to tremendous difficulties and trials. And that may not sound to you as much of a blessing, but I see that as a present blessing. And yet Peter says, as great as those blessings are that we receive, that I literally get paid to study God's Word, to read theology, to digest it, and to examine 
as much as I can about the world and about God's word and bring it together each week. That is a blessing. But Peter holds out because he knows his audience and he knows ministry well enough to say your greatest blessing is yet to come. It is that crown that we will receive in Christ Jesus. And whenever you see this reference to a crown in terms of the believer, it is always the word, not diadem, but Stephanos, the, the crown that went to an athlete, where they competed a race and finished it and won. They were given this, this wreath. But it'll be a wreath that would, in time, obviously fade. Peter says, no, no, you're, you're going to receive a crown of glory that will not fade, that will not tarnish, that will remain forever. What a proper perspective that every pastor should remind themselves of, or should remind themselves of, not just once a year, but throughout the year, that every congregation should remind themselves of so they know how to pray for their shepherd, for their pastor, and those in spiritual leadership. Timothy Lanneke uh, wrote a book a number of years ago on shepherding. And, and in, in pursuit of writing this book, he decided he would travel to the Middle East. And as, as a Christian, he wanted to see how Bedouin shepherds in the Jordan shepherd today. So he went and he spent time interviewing shepherds before writing this book. And he said, I will never forget one particular story. He said, I met a shepherd who was middle-aged. He was weathered and everything else, but he told me about an event that happened to him when he was a young boy. He said his father entrusted him with three goats and said, you need to take care of them. But one of the goats ran off and his father said to him, you need to leave and not come back until you find that goat. And he says, I was only like eight years old and, and my father sent me out into the, the Jordan area with all of these caves and deserts. And he said to me, don't come back until you find that animal. He said, I was gone for three days. He said, when I came back, my father never said anything to me. He said the goat had returned on its own. But when he asked his father later, why did you do that? His father said, I wanted to teach him that as a shepherd, it's your life for their life. Isn't that what you want from your shepherd? Isn't that what Christ wants from you and from me? As we not just have one to shepherd us, but also look at how we, in our different capacities, can shepherd one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not need to look any further than Scripture to see that you are our chief shepherd, that the Lord is our shepherd. And so if we follow what you have given us, then we will see shepherds acting and tending to your sheep as you designed it to be. And so may these words of Peter not just help those who are pastors like myself continue to shepherd with greater diligence, enthusiasm, and passion, 
but may it also help congregations just like this one to know how to more effectively pray for their pastor and to also listen and apply what their pastor says from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.